I walked once into CrossFit. I actually walked into HQ and asked if I could have a sit down with Justin Burke. And, um, <laughs> and, um, I was there for some other reason. I was there to see Rory. You know, it was like, he's like, Hey, if you're ever in town and my aunt and uncle live like 45 minutes away from HQ. And I was like, sure, I'll come, I'll come say hi. And uh, so I was probably the first press person to walk into HQ. They don't have like an open, they didn't, not at the time, they didn't have like an opening desk for like check people in. I just walked upstairs. Yeah, you know, like if I can walk into the speaker's office, I probably walk into CrossFit HQ. <laughs> Of it. Right. There you go. Yeah. Why? I mean, to me, it's why is that? It's not any different. So, like, I don't have that star power mentality where, like, I get like afraid of something like that. You know, I mean, I spent better part of my time around governors and presidential candidates. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer, and I am the Clydesdale CrossFitter. My friends, Amy Radowski, Charlie Ody, and Kat Shear, and I, we are 40-plus Masters athletes who love the sport of CrossFit. We want to bring you athlete interviews, human interest stories, and all the news from the Open to the Sanctionals to the CrossFit Games. We also want to share our journey to get fit and healthy using the sport of CrossFit. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button and consider giving us a five-star rating. We are now available on YouTube at the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends Podcast and all traditional podcast platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Clydesdale CrossFitter. And now, off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Hey guys, what's going on? Hey. Hi. We are back for another episode of the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Uh, but this week is going to be a little bit special. Uh, we are actually, this is a bonus episode kind of, because uh, we're going to do a second one for this week. Uh, Amy's still riding the high of the Con Porter release on a, Monday. It's a great interview. So if you haven't checked that out, make sure you go back and, and hit that one up. Uh, but today we've we've got a really cool guest. Any comments, ladies? Just gonna nod your head. I, in my head, I'm gonna start thinking of him as a professor. I'm gonna start calling him professor. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what he reminds me of. And so we actually um, we did an Instagram kind of shout out and said, "Who do you guys want on the show?" And this is one of the names that came back a couple times actually. Um, and so I posted that it came back and. And this guy reached out to me and said, I'd love to be on the show. Let's do it. Uh, so we had Justin LaFranco on, the owner, president, and founder of the Morning Chalk Up. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I, I learned so much about just like his background. And I mean, he's, he's done a lot. Yeah, I mean, he's been kind of a big deal in the political scene. Yeah. Yeah, and super productive um, in the CrossFit scene when it comes to some of the stuff he's churned out over the last, what, four years? Uh, yeah. yeah. And a lot of that on his own, which you'll hear in this video, which pretty much made us speechless for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's go to that interview and uh, we'll see you after it's over. I'm good. I just woke up from a nap. Sweet. Quarantine life. 
Uh, yeah, we, we're already at home all the time anyways. Um, at home in the sense that we all work remote. So this is pretty normal life, um, except the fact that we're not on the road. So other than that, this is, this is kind of a normal day. Well, Amy has uh, perfected the quarantine nap. That is, that, is, that is her gig now. I'm pretty good at it. I really am. <laughs> so, so I'm Scott. Um, we have Amy. And hey there. we have Kat. Uh, they're my co-hosts. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you. Uh, so thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks this for having me. An informal conversation. Just kind of get to know you a little bit. Cool. Um, and so th- just off the top, I've got to ask, um, how in the world did you get involved in the cowboy claw challenge last night. Um, well, so first, I mean, I know, I know all the folks involved fairly well, or at least I know Sean Sweeney really well. And Jason Carroll is just down the street from me. Um, Tim Paulson, <laughs> I think he wised up and he's like, eh, I'm good. Um, so I, I knew that all the U S based players and I knew Khan uh, from, from uh, Pandaland. Uh, we got the chance to meet and hang out during the, for the second sanctional of the season this year. Um, so I was like, sure, you know, I mean, Sweeney's an eccentric guy. He likes to have some fun and wants to do fun things. So I was like, you know, hey, um, maybe we can maybe we can create some entertainment for people. So we're going to get the video and we're going to cut it up a little bit more. And we're going to try and add some layer of. Um, were, you, uh, were you supposed to be involved right from the get go? Because it seemed like a last minute sort of. You no, know, they were going to go. They, they were going to go live on Instagram, but because it wasn't working. They didn't realize uh, you can only have two people at a time. So I was like, you know what, guys? Like, I'll host a Zoom meeting. We we've got an account allows you to have uh, you know no real time limit to your Zoom meeting, and we can also push it live to YouTube. So we'll just go ahead and take care of it for you. Um, and then I was just like, uh, I- I'm gonna go hang out with my family <laughs> and let you guys do this and have your fun. And then I'll check in every now and then just to make sure the house isn't on fire. And sure enough, the house was on fire. So I was Pretty like, whatever, I'm just gonna, you know, go back to hanging out with my family and having a normal life. Well, it certainly <laughs> was entertaining. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I had it on in the yep. background all day today at work, and uh, wow. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So I did notice too, I, um, in the background, when you left, you put your camera on a couple bottles of wine. So are you a wine (laughs) aficionado? I'm yes, I am. Um, but I don't, I don't really drink that much wine. Um, I was actually at my sister's house when I got this tech, I knew it was going on and they're like, help. So I, I stepped in and helped and I was like, well, I'm not gonna like, you know, just put it out and there's random people walking by, you know, cause I just had it on the kitchen ta- counter. So I just was like, well, I'll just turn it in the face some wine bottles since it's in, in keeping with the theme here. I, I do like wine. I love red wine. Um, great with dinner. It's great to relax and read with some red wine. Uh, but I don't get to call, my, call myself an aficionado. I'm more like a whiskey aficionado. Like I like, I like whiskey and scotch and bourbon and stuff. That's usually if I'm like, oh, I'm going to chill out this evening, get a nice big ice cube and pour myself something, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's kind of down my fairway. There you go. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice nice bottle of bourbon and yeah, can't, and a campfire or something that's awesome. maybe a little cigar, you know. Yeah. Um. So let's let's start with your political career. Yeah. What a time to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> must must seem like a lifetime ago. So I actually work for the state of Ohio. Oh, cool. Um, so involved. Bindi are a great state a few times for some trips. Yeah. 
Well, my office is actually like maybe two miles from Rogue. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We're actually in an old airplane hangar at the airport. Nice. Uh, so, so it's pretty, it's pretty cool, but I, working in politics is not really my jam anymore. Um, and I know that you left there, but just to give a kind of history of like what you sure. did in, in that scene. Um, yeah. So I guess the, the quick answer is uh, moved there right after college or shortly, shortly there after college, my first get a job started as an intern in the U S house of representatives uh, got hired as a staffer, worked my way up through that. I uh, worked for about five, four to five years in U S Congress, took some leave of absences to do some campaigns, uh, moved up to Boston to work for Mitt Romney during the 12 election. Um, came back to Congress and I went over to the RNC to be creative director for the Republican party and, um, you know, handled a lot of the visual identity and, and, uh, creative and, and visual design, um, for the candidates down ballot, you know, um, then I left and went to Wisconsin to work for Governor Walker's presidential campaign. I was there for about nine months, 10 months or something like that. He dropped out of the race. Uh, I took a sabbatical. So I went overseas to Europe, fed pigs and chickens in a farm in Italy and uh, visited some friends from time to time, you know, and hopped around a little bit and did that for about two months, came back three days before Christmas, decided I was going to move back to California and get out of politics and, um, not take any of the, the other offers for other campaigns. And that's fairly typical is to pick up, um, you know, key staffers from other campaigns that have failed and, and uh, add them to their roster as they become available. And so I decided to to, to permanently take myself out of politics and decide that, you know, I wanted to do a lot of the same digital stuff I was doing and I was doing digital, digital fundraising, digital management of social media channels, tweeting for the elected officials and crafting messages, writing blogs, doing, doing, you know, um, grassroots building on the internet and using the tools available for those sorts of things. I love that stuff, but I wanted to do it in a more permanent setting. You know, campaign ends after anywhere from four to 20 months, depending on if you're running for president or if you're running for house of representatives. And so, um, you know, you kind of stop that process and then you let it die and then you maybe pick it back up again during the next cycle or, or whatever. And so I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do something more permanent where I'm building it day in, day out constantly. Um, and one of my, uh, you know, big passions was CrossFit and I'd loved it and I'd loved it for years already. I had uh, built a little gym in the campaign headquarters in the garage. So I had some bumper plates and a barbell and a box and kettlebell and stuff like that. And I was able to do that like nine at night. I'm still in the office, step outside uh, into the garage and do a workout when I was in Wisconsin. That was cool. Um, so it was a big part of my life. So I decided to focus that energy into something I was passionate about. And I still very much have passion about politics. It just turned out that that was the time for me to step away and let other people come in and do, uh, you know, what they wanted to do. So there's a couple of things you said there. I'd like to unpack just a little bit. And totally, um, I actually have a guy that works for me. He, um, he worked on a bunch of campaigns here in Ohio. Yeah. And he said the, the highlight of being running a campaign is that the highs are super high and the lows are super low. <laughs> uh, there, yeah. There's no happy in between when, when you're on the campaign trail. Right. <laughs> That's fairly true. Um, you know, it's a bit of a crazy environment. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, it, it definitely draws out a special kind of personality to come in and say, hey, you know what, um, like, I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard seven days a week. I'm going to drink really hard because I'm stressed. I'm going to eat whatever I can because I don't have time to cook. I'm always tired. But 
damn, man, that one victory, I don't know what it was, whatever it was that happened, like, man, you got, you know, this happened or the polling came in or a fun, met a fundraising goal or you, you know, uh, your, your opposing candidate had a bad day because you, you forced him into the corner asking tough questions or whatever. You spun the news the right way and you're like, oh, man, I got it. So you're, you're just kind of like in a crazy environment where you, you do have to hold on to small victories and you're constantly kind of trudging through mud to find them. And it is like a high, high and a low, low type of thing. But it draws an A-type personality. It's extremely competitive that will stop at nothing to figure out how to achieve their goal or to achieve victory. And if you have that, then it's, it's like trading on the stock market, you know, it's just finance or politics, you know, you're ultra stressed in both places, you know, um, you are just like addicted to that. And the, those who, those who work in it and that thrive in that kind of environment, the high stress, high pressure environment, they get their own reward off basically that. And they see that as being really, really fun, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, and I still think it's pretty fun, but. Uh, you know, I just do it in a different place now and I get to work out in the middle of the day. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> well, and it does kind of translate to the competitive environment of the, yeah, of the CrossFit yeah. Games, right? Sure. You, yeah. you can relate to an athlete who puts in, you know, 10 hour days on their fitness, just like you were putting in 10 hour days for the, for that candidate. Yeah, I can absolutely relate. When they, when they talk about not having balance, like I can completely understand that, you know, there was no balance. Like, in fact, it took me years to find CrossFit even though I'd already known about it, I'd already done it in college. It didn't stick with it, but really I was so dedicated, so committed to the task that it was such an all encompassing thing to become good at it. You know, you're networking after work, you're, you're already working a lot, then you network after work and then you, you know, repeat, rinse, wash and repeat basically every single day. And you're trying to rise up chain as much as you can. And you, you know, uh, just immerse yourself in your work and you don't really have a lot of balance, I guess. And that can happen in any industry you're in. Like if you want to rise to the top, politics just so happens to be a very, very competitive environment where everybody's a heck of a lot smarter than you are, or at least it feels that way. And everybody wants to win. There aren't any like people that are just in it there for the, you know, for the social aspect. Uh, you know, after the first couple of years, those people usually leave, uh, you know, the, the halls of Congress or, or the White House and they, they go downtown and they work in an office somewhere, you know, in a policy shop of some kind. But the ones who stick around and they're more senior positions, I mean, they're cutthroat. Like, we're in to win every day. So, so did you have an interest to get into politics at a young age or like when yeah. did that sort of develop? <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I was fascinated with process. And I was never much of a policy person in the, in the sense that when I studied in college, I didn't really like studying public policy because I wasn't really interested in like, um, you, know, you know, like the history of this type of thing or the history of that type of thing or, or exactly what the nuanced set of political rules or regulations are about this or that. I was like in the sausage making process. I was like, I like real politics, like backroom dealings, how to get things done, how to pass a legislation through Congress, and how to get it done. Um, how to outsmart your opponents to make sure that, that the people in your camp are being taken care of better than, uh, than, than, or, you know, to get more ground than you're giving up essentially. So I, I like the gamesmanship of politics a lot. And I was always very intrigued by that. Um, and so that's how I found myself more into press actually. So I wasn't a policy person. I was a press person. And so, um, you know, it makes more sense that now I'm in the opposite side of the wing, which is I'm asking questions, but I was there writing press releases. I was a junior press aide writing press releases. And that was the time when social media was becoming a thing. So I, I began to, I was a young guy and I had a lot of exposure to those channels. So I was also taking on those roles too and learning uh, social media, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram later on once that became launched and YouTube and things like that. 
And so you kind of got to grow with the social media as yeah. you were growing in the career as well. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. I mean, um, on, I mean, honestly, just like, uh, three or four months before I joined Congress that, um, the first member of Congress had signed up for Twitter. And, um, you know, so I joined right before, um, the uh, president Obama was inaugurated. So it was, uh, you know, the waning days of the Bush term. And, uh, that's, that's when I came back after for my second internship, but I, I'd done one in college actually. So I got some introduction there and then decided to make, uh, make a real go for it once I graduated. Um, so that's when I came back and, 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 you know, that was considered like the, the first internet election was the 2008 election, you know, between McCain and Obama and Obama won and, uh, and credited a lot for his internet operation and being able to mobilize and, um, get grassroots support through, uh, non-traditional tools. Um, that that traditionally hadn't gotten people elected in the past. So, um, so now Congress is thinking, oh, you know what? We got to join these things too and start communicating and stuff. So I found myself like deep into that in in the House of Representatives, and there's actually a lot of we can dive into that for a long time. But there's a lot of that that was going on, and, and I was I was a uh, uh, worked for Daryl Issa, who was um, a very very progressive technology member of Congress. He owned the Viper car alarm system. He he founded it. Uh, the aftermarket car alarms called Viper. And, um, he also owned, uh, he was a president of the consumer electronics foundation before he came to Congress. So he's very tech forward. So he, he told his staff, he's like, Hey, um, you guys are going to learn this stuff and this is going to be part of our communications plan. So I was a junior press aide and that's where I found myself doing a lot of time, uh, uh, learning and growing with that as that became now it's commonplace. I mean, there isn't an elected official out there, big or small that doesn't have one. So, uh, the last poll political question I'll ask you is, uh, you joined Scott Walker uh, mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. Uh, when he took over as governor there, it was, it was met with, um, yeah. you know, a lot of number controversy of, kind of number of protests. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and those, those same protests were happening here in Ohio. Uh, Cause that's sure. when Kasich took over oh, yeah. uh, John. At, the, at the exact same time. Uh, and a, a lot for the same reasons. So was, when you joined Scott Walker, was that kind of waning and he had gained some popularity then? Yeah. So that, that had actually started and kicked off. So I'd actually been offered a job to work on his reelection campaign and I turned it down because I had some other opportunities in Congress at the time. Um, and uh, so he, he, he was actually became the first governor to survive a recall election. So, you know, he came in, he made, he made a lot of adjustments um, in, 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 in Wisconsin that were somewhat unpopular, actually extremely unpopular. It was very polarizing. So, you know, they were, you know, the Republicans were like, yes, we love you for this. And the Democrats were like, we hate you for this. And that actually caused a recall election. So um, he survived a recall and then won that and then won re-election again for governor. So when I came in, he'd already been re-elected to governor again. Okay. So he basically won three elections in two years. Wow. So the last thing I want to unpack from what you said initially is uh, the the chickens in Italy. Mm. So yes. you, you worked on a farm in Italy. Yeah, little uh, little homestead farm up in the mountains. And so, what was that experience like? Well, it was. It first, it was very peaceful and very tranquil. I had basically not had a vacation about a part of a decade, um, and so I was really in the middle of nowhere. Like there wasn't any leaving this town. Uh, except on the bus that came like twice a week and I don't really know where it goes. Um, <laughs> you're already so far away. I mean, you're about three and a half, three and a half hours North East of Rome and a small little town called Contiano. And so I just woke up every day, fed pigs, chickens and quail and turkeys and hens. 
And how did, uh, how did that all come about? How did uh, I found this site with? called Workaway, and you could basically exchange room and board for you know roughly a half day's worth of work. And everybody had kind of different setups and stuff like that. So I I, I had uh, traveled to Italy a lot when I was younger. I had taught English there for the summer right after I graduated from college, and uh, I was like, you know, I'd like to go back, spend a little time, and just chill and like really reset. And then ultimately, the discussion that I was having with myself is, what do I want to do? And where do I want to live? Because I'm not going to live in Wisconsin permanently. And uh, I could move home. I could move back to DC. I could stay in politics. I could join a campaign. I could kind of, you know, or I could move somewhere completely different and decide I want to try something else that's new. So I was spending time really just relaxing and getting a sense of what I really and truly wanted and what I wanted for my life and where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I didn't answer all those questions at once, but it was an opportunity to settle down to the point where boredom had set in essentially where you're like, man, I I've seen enough uh, sunrises that I'm (laughs) wish there was something else to do today, but there isn't much. It's just take care of the homestead and just make sure it's all set. And there really wasn't even that hard of work. You know, you just, feed animals twice a day, you clean up, you do random, you know, farm like activities like chopping wood or moving it around and stuff like that, cleaning out horse stalls that were, they were going to move some horses in and stuff. It's like, okay. And that was just an opportunity for me to, to get away from it. You know, I call it a sabbatical cause like, you know, I, I, I it just took two months concentrated period of time and I basically chilled. And so during that time, is that when you, when you were contemplating all those questions and then is that where you sort of formulated that, Hey, I want to start this, this, um, morning chalk up. No, no, okay. it's not. It's, it, it actually just really what it was is that I decided I was going to move back home to California and then I was going to, um, you know, it's where I grew up and my whole fa- my whole family's here. So I decided I want to be closer to them. Let's spend more time, you know, make a conscious decision to make them a part of my life on a regular basis. Not just like the three or four times I'd be able to come home from DC and have enough time to do that. So I decided to move back and move back with my parents. I was 28 years old at the time. Um, so right two days before Christmas, you know, uh, December 23rd of 2015. And so I moved back home and then I started to put pieces together, uh, while I was traveling of doing some consulting work consulting work, mostly out of politics, but still a little bit in politics to kind of start generating some income. Um, and then I started toying around with this other idea. This other idea was morning chalk up. And so I started the both. Well, I started the primary gig, which was actually going to make me money. You know, one I was going to be able to like pay for things, you know, like student loans and, uh, you know, my car loan and things like that. And, uh, basic sustenance, live food, eat, food, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, normal things and stuff. Mom and dad weren't going to pay for it all. Um, and I uh, started doing that. And then at some point, uh, it was March, uh, sorry, February, I think 23rd. So about Wednesday before the CrossFit Open was going to kick off, um, I decided I was going to launch this thing. And I came up with the name in about 24 hours, and I built everything else in about 24 hours. And I launched it the day after. So Dave made his announcement on Thursday night, um, like he usually does, and then or usually did. And then uh, Saturday was the first edition. So I kind of built it the day of the Open. And then I sent out the first edition on Saturday, I scraped a bunch of emails from old contacts and stuff I found on the internet. Um, and I was still mentioned it intended, it wasn't intended to be a hobby, but it was with the understanding that this may never really materialize into something that's bigger. And I want to, 
um, obviously keeping my regular job and, uh, you know, continuing to build this thing. And I'm going to put some effort and some energy into it and just kind of figure out where it goes. I committed to doing it every single day. It was seven days a week back then for a couple of months and reevaluating and seeing where it was at. Um, and then the passion for it grew and I thought it had real legs. I thought it had a real opportunity and I wanted to see it through. So I liquidated my government pension and I actually basically paid off any debt that I had like credit card or car or, um, not student loans. Cause those are still way too high to, to pay off. Um, but anything that I had, and then I took the rest of the money and I invested it in morning truck up. So I ended up being like 10 grand or something, um, to make sure that we had, you know, any, any, any money for anything we needed, you know, like server space or, advertising or anything like that and then started grinding it out from there so was it a one-man show for a while two years two years wow (laughs) i wrote like 700 and something newsletters wow so um i'm actually speechless after you said wow that's that is yeah that's a lot of writing so i i yeah, I wrote, I moved, well, I moved from, smartly moved from seven days down to five. And I was like Monday through Friday only. And now we're up to six. And it took us a long time to get back up to six. And the six is where we're going to be. We're not, we're not going to do seven. Um, even though there's more to tell, we just need a break. The staff's still too small to force a seven day a week because there's still the administrative side of things to like get everything loaded up and put in the newsletter, et cetera. And so it's just a lot of work. Um, I wrote like 750 editions straight by myself, wow. like without fail. I took one week off, I think in two years. So. <laughs> and, you, and you started with that, um, that format of the warm up, the wad and the cool down. Like, was yeah, that- that's good. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I get, I'm not sure how you found that, but <laughs> let's hear subscribe. I think, I, think I was a very early uh, adopter. Okay. Well, thank you for sticking around this long. Um, yeah, there was a lot of different form. It's, it's taken a ton of different formats over the years. Um, it's funny cause like I actually, so there are some very popular newsletters that are out there, some of which are newer than, than, than ours are, but I borrowed from some of, or than ours is, I borrowed from some of their ideas and one of them is the hustle, the skim, um, yeah, uh, now morning brew is very popular and that, but that's actually a pretty recent one. Um, and there's a whole bunch of them in politics. And that's where the idea came from, actually. It's that we had these newsletters that kicked off our morning. And you read through it, seven to ten minutes or something like that, depending on if you read everything or if you're just skimming certain parts and scrolling down. But it told you everything that was the most important to know for the day. And that was the whole concept of the format. Now, the format today has changed a little bit. So it's not as much of an intelligencer as it is the stories of the day that we've picked and we're writing ourselves. Back then, it was a lot more curation. And it was me, me condensing that into something that said, okay, you know, look, like, here's what you need to know. This is what you need to know. This is the leaderboard. These are the people that are f- to follow. This is what's happening. And give you all of that stuff into different chunks and in, around different topics. So, so yeah, that was the format back then. Yeah, the, the, the warm-up, the wall, and the cool-down. I don't even remember that. If you'd asked me that, like, as a trivia question, I would have told you. I, could, I don't remember. I mean, I've written so many of them at this point. I can't remember them all. It changed pretty quick. I changed often. Like, I was messing with the format and, and, and iterating on top of it pretty regularly. It would it'd be surprising for it to go more than three months without some kind of a shift. So we had uh, we had Tommy Marquez on a couple yeah uh, gosh a couple months ago now good dude Tommy the Taco 
Yeah, and uh, so we asked him how he got involved with you in the morning chalk up. Okay. He was telling us a story that uh, when he was still at HQ, uh, it, was, it was locked up tighter than a drum with information. So, yeah. <laughs> and that he was kind of one of your sources uh, to get at least a little bit of information out of Yeah. That. So what were those early years like before, you know, the, the media team was let go? Yeah. So, so, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm going to give myself a ton of credit here. So, you know, you all let the, I'll let the rest of the story in society, whether I deserve it or not. But obviously, I, I believe I was the first person who came in that was actually like, like, um, you know, I had, I had a lot of experience in the real world when it came to press and communications and stuff. Cause I was on the front line of that. So like, you know, you're getting your boss onto a TV show, you're working with CNN or ABC news or Fox or whatever it is. Right. And you're booking that and you're working with producers and you're having on the record, off the record on background, deep background conversations with reporters and stuff. And you're pitching news and press. So I'd had a frontline experience to what that looked like and what it actually was. And so I knew how to conduct those conversations and how those looked. At least I was on the opposite side. I was more the CrossFit side because I was receiving the questions or pitching the media. And now I'd, I'd sort of swap roles. So ultimately, you know, like I just started asking questions and it really didn't, didn't, didn't upset me what one bit if they didn't answer them or ignored me or anything like that. I walked once into CrossFit. I actually walked into HQ and asked if I could have a sit down with Justin Burke. And, um, <laughs> and um, I was there for some other reason. I was there to see Rory. You know, it was like, he's like, Hey, if you're ever in town and my aunt and uncle live like 45 minutes away from HQ. And I was like, sure, I'll come, I'll come say hi. And uh, so I was probably the first press person to walk into HQ they don't have like an open, they didn't, not at the time, they didn't have like an opening desk for like check people in. I just walked upstairs. Yeah, you know, like if I can walk into the speaker's office, I probably walk into CrossFit HQ. <laughs> right? There you go. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, why is that? It's not any different. So like, I don't have that star power mentality where like I get like afraid of something like that. You know, I mean, I spent better part of my time around governors and presidential candidates. Like, these are just regular people, just like us. Yeah. Like so you lose that a little bit. So you got a little bit more moxie. So I walk in there and I did an interview about the invitation. I want to do this story on it and stuff. And I asked him like, we had like a 30 minute sit down. And, um, that's the first time he ever met me. And I'm sure he was like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, but because I was so forward and I, I wasn't like, I, I wasn't asking like gotcha questions. I was just like, okay, explain the process. Like, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. And I was like, very engaging with them about it. I'd email people regularly. I still email them all the time. I'm like, Hey, check this story out. You see this, like, look at this, like ask tons of questions and stuff. That's just been my posture where, or where how I've conducted business and doing that. And so because of that, it early on, it granted me a lot more access than anybody else had been given. I was, I received the first press pass to any CrossFit media, you know, blog, anything ever. Wow. I'd only been around for like four months. You never got kicked out of any events or I never got kicked out of any events. I got, uh, I got my own pass press pass. Uh, to the 2015 CrossFit Games, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, but the 15 was the first time they'd given it to a, an outside CrossFit outlet that or outside media outlet that published about CrossFit. And there are other, you know, Barbend or Barbell Spin. There's, there was Flow Elite. Um, 
et cetera, that have been around and some other ones that have popped up and then left and stuff, RX review box magazine, you know, there's some other ones and stuff. They've never been granted. Like they grant outside media. Yeah. If like an outside media publication, like wanted to come in, but never to a CrossFit uh, media type company and stuff. And so I got the first one and um, I kept being the only one for a number of years. In fact, until Madison, um, and so I think it's just partially because of that experience that I'd had in the professional world that had, they gave me a different take on it. And I was like, okay, you know, like, yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of the tools that you had in yeah. your first career that just transferred over well to, to this new experience. So, yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, I worked in, I worked with all major league players mm-hmm. and so you learn a lot. And you learn quickly and you learn how business is done and stuff. And if, when you're working on the other, you know, with, with press and media outlets and stuff, you, you get a pretty keen understanding. And these aren't, these aren't like pushover local, not because local newspapers are pushovers, but you know, it's cutthroat in the media environment when you're in Washington, DC, that's the toughest media environment on the planet. And so when you, when you get that experience and you see that you're going to get, um, you're going to start learning things quickly and learning how businesses are conducted at the highest level of, uh, in media markets. And that's what I got. And then sports would be the same way. Like if you're, you know, if you're doing press communications for the NBA or for an NBA basketball team, you're going to see it in your environment. You're going to see a front row seat to how, you know, uh, what it looks like and how it's played. Well, and I think you have to, I mean, to be successful at it, you have to be a risk taker. You know, you have to be willing to ask the question and to, to be able yeah. to handle if you get shot down. Just like being an athlete, if you want to excel in the, in the field, you've got to be a risk taker to do some of those yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, you got to be a little crazy. Yeah. So talk about learning some new things. <laughs> so CrossFit fires its media staff. Yes, they you know, did. The, the floodgates kind of open, and now everybody wants to do what you're doing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think people wanted to do it before, too. I don't think, it was, I, don't think I was the uh, precursor. Like I said, there's a lot of other people, not just people, but, but media companies that have been around longer than I have. Like Barbell's been, I don't think they're really around anymore, but you know, they've been around longer than I have. Um, Barben was around before me and some other folks like Armin, you know, Flow Elite's been around a lot longer than, than, than Morning Chalk Up and stuff. You know, we, we just hit our fourth birthday at the end of March. Uh, sorry, at the end of February. So I don't think I, 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 don't, I don't see myself as like the, you know, the John the Baptist of, of media, um, to be fair. That's, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't see, see that as, um, but I do think that we have, we present ourselves as the gold standard for what, for what journalism is in CrossFit right now. Um, and I hope that we continue to, to, to be a standard bearer for that. Um, I think, I think what you should be commended for is when that all happened and that first games after, like you, you changed, you're not, you weren't just a newsletter anymore. No, 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 no. Yeah. We multimedia company, multimedia company. Yeah. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> that was a rough transition, man. Um, you know, the crazy thing is, and people tell me this, it's like the, the HQ folks tell you this, like we learn more about what's going on in HQ from reading your, from your journalism than, than, than what HQ is telling us. And that's one area where we definitely differentiate ourselves because in times of, I take this loosely, but in times of crisis, like you, you, you're going to figure out who knows what they're, what they're talking about and who doesn't. So like, back you know that at that point in that stage we uh, my goal was and still two people back then <laughs> it's only two worked at morning truck up <laughs> uh was to say um we're gonna provide certainty to an uncertain situation the uncertain situation is what the hell is happening to regionals what the hell is happening to the crossfit games what the hell is happening with the crossfit hq um 
sponsors, brands that are sponsoring the CrossFit Games are involved in that. They all want to know. Um, staff want to know. Anybody that's industry or livelihood wants to know. Anybody who's an athlete wants to know. Anybody who's a coach wants to know. They all want to know what's going on here. So we're going to provide what certainty we can in an uncertain environment. Fast forward to today. We're going to provide as much certainty as we can in an uncertain environment when there's so much stuff that's going on. So like we're trying to make sure that we are giving people accurate information that's timely and that's relevant that helps them make decisions about what's going on in their industry or in their life. And that's what we're trying to do in coronavirus. So it's a very similar situation, but obviously um, with a lot bigger ramifications and effects on individuals' lives and businesses than it was back then. So when the first CrossFit Games came around, I was like, you know, we're going to stop becoming a newsletter. We're going to become a media company because if there were ever an opportunity to do this, you don't go up against, you don't go up against uh, state-sponsored media that has an infinite budget when you have a budget of like 60000 <laughs> kind of silly. You pick something you're good at and you go deep with what that is. And we picked the newsletter was what I was uniquely good at. My ability to condense large amounts of information into something that's easy to understand and that tracks very closely to what's really going on in this environment. That's my gift to the world and that's what I'm good at. So I'm going to continue to make sure that I offer something that's of value that nobody else does. Nobody else does this except for us. We're the only person still that does this one thing and we're going to continue to do it extremely well. But if there were never ever a time to expand that and say, you know what, we're going to do a little bit more. Well, 12 months prior when CrossFit Media was, was as big as it ever was going to become and it was huge. Their traffic numbers, their ability to drive the message was massive. Their audience, their reach, everything. That would have been a silly investment because you can't possibly outspend them. And, you know, with two people, you can't really out-innovate them either. <laughs> True. So, so that's when, at that point, that's when I said, you know, we're going to really give this a shot. Because if we don't, somebody else probably will. But I think we're in the best position with enough trust in the industry to, to take on that challenge today. And I'm glad that we did. It was rough. <laughs> I mean, the Crosby game planning for that was pretty bad. I was dying. Like, yeah, and then no also- sleep. You also have the advantage of some, of some names with you now, right? Tommy, yeah. um, Jessica Danger, and to, to be able to, to go put, like those three shows daily. Um, with yeah, them, yeah. So we brought on, um, so Tommy came on. We ha- I mean, now the team, now the team is pretty, it's, we have a really, really deep roster of people that are very, very impressive. And so, I mean, it looks like household, you know, these are our household names. I mean, Tommy, Tommy Marquez, uh, Nikki Brazier, Emily Beers, seven years wrote for the CrossFit journal. Um, you know, we brought on a new managing editor to, to take that day to day off my plate so I can do some other things other than just write constantly and edit constantly. Um, we have, uh, Chad Schroeder, the unofficial CrossFit historian who knows literally more about anything. If you want to have one hour of just trivia questions, try and stump Chad Schroeder. You won't do it. Good luck. <laughs> He is, he used to, he, he, we worked for CrossFit as a contractor for years, literally doing the stats, stats books. I mean, it's um, unbelievable. So that's all, this is a roster of people that are extremely impressive that really have, um, have quite the resumes. Uh, oh, we also have Brittany Klein from Australia who works for ABC News in Australia and she freelances with us. Um, and, and, a, and a host of other people. Like, you know, we have a really talented folks that are on the team, you know, in some capacity or another that are involved with, with, yeah. with the operations here. You're, or you're, the, you're the fourth person from the Morning Chalk Up we've interviewed. 
So we've, <laughs> I'm the we've interviewed Nikki and Tommy and uh, Patrick Clark. Oh, Patrick. Yeah. Patrick's fantastic. Former ESPN reporter. He works for the United States Army now. He's actually up, up in Illinois, um, uh, deployed to National Guard. He got called up. Um, so he's, he's doing, his, he's doing uh, uh, his country service up there. Um, but yeah, former ESPN reporter. Fantastic photographer, CrossFit and, Games judge for a number of years. Yeah, he judged with me and at the same time. Ah, okay. Well. Yeah, fantastic guy. So the team has grown to like a hodgepodge of people. And, and then our broadcast team was Robert Orlando and Jeff Brightwell. And Jeff, I mean, Jeff's University of Memphis, like crushing it daily, doing doing their college collegiate broadcasts on a regular basis. And Robert Orlando is an OG of doing um, doing uh, broadcast and commentary and stuff from years past and games, games past and stuff. And so we try to bring together the best individuals that we can, you know, and, and we're looking at other partnerships with other people just to say, Hey, we want to do a new project. Would you like to kind of be involved in that? And you've got a great voice and, and a great talent and great skill. So um, other people that are around and, and we're trying to draw from the best of them. So how many subscribers do you have today? Like a hundred thousand. Wow. That's then awesome. like a 30 something percent daily average open rate. And uh, the site does probably what we do like 10 million page views last year on um, the website itself. Um, so this year is something, something comparable to that. I, I haven't looked recently. So I think, I think it's tracking roughly at probably a 10% growth on top of that this year. Yeah, I know it's one of the first things I read every morning. Thank you. Um, just to keep up with everything. And so um, you actually did a little, I don't, I don't know, uh, where you went on YouTube and you told people why you started the morning. Show. Oh, yeah. And in that, you quoted Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, Great and quote. I thought that quote was awesome. If you, if you could just share it with the. Yeah, it's. Um, it, 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 I always end up paraphrasing it, not quite right, but uh, it's. Um, there's no limit to what, what a man can achieve if he's unwilling to take the credit. Um, and, and the concept behind that is that, well, how that, how that actually plays out it for us is that there are no authors on the newsletter. There, there was, there has never been authors on the newsletter. We used to have a bylines down at the bottom, just to list the names of the teams, but you wouldn't know who wrote anything. Um, we, we got rid of it pretty quick, not, because I didn't feel like it was in keeping with that ethos, but just because I didn't feel like it was really necessary. I was like, yeah, this is, this is an idea I borrowed from somebody else. And I just, I was like, eh, I don't really think it's, it's not important. It's not important who writes it. Like there are a lot of things that I write or rewrite of other people's stories. And my name's not even, I, I don't take the byline. I don't really care. And it's not just about the byline. It's just, a, it's just an ethos in general. It's that, it's that, you know, I came from some politics. Everybody wants the credit, right? If anything good happens, you know, how many people are raising their hand? Like, I was in the meeting. <laughs> I gave them that idea and it's unverified, right? Cause like there isn't like minutes for the meeting or whatever. It's like, I had called him as soon as I heard about that. And I told him this and thank, thank God he did it, you know, whatever it is. Right. And so it comes from the biggest credit saturation marketplace on the planet. And I didn't want that to be what we were known for. It doesn't really matter all that much. You can't do great things if all you care about is credit or if the big things that you care about are your reputation as an individual. But it also speaks to a bigger, uh, another uh, even bigger thing. I think the morning chalk up itself has to be bigger than Justin LaFranco. I am not that cool. And, and I don't want to be that cool. So if, if it is only as 
good or as intriguing or as, as interesting as my brain or my mind or what my reputation is or my charisma or, or, um, or whatever, then it can only be that big. It's, 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 it's this, this is it right here. It's this much. And if I only give maybe this much today, then it's only this good. And if I give this much today, then maybe it's this good, whatever. But if you have people that you trust and that you trust in that you teach and that you instruct, um, it can be so much bigger than one person. So that's kind of how it, that's what it means for me. Um, more than it is just a byline. It's an ethos. It's a concept saying it's got it. Morning truck has to be bigger than me because a, it means it can't survive me leaving for what any reason, like maybe I just want to do something different and I want to give it to somebody else without Justin. It's nothing. No, that's not true. If it is, then I've run the company wrong. I've run the company as a reflection of myself and not the, you know, the great ideas that are out there. So that's kind of in the ethos. This is where it came from. And I, and I love how you guys really focus on the community aspect of CrossFit. Like in every one of your newsletters, you're giving shout outs to, you know, yeah. random, random athletes on Instagram that have PRs and you do Definitely. a lot of human interest stories. Um, I love the work you're doing right now with the, the pandemic in terms of, you know, unofficially tracking like who's closed, who's opening and all that. Cause no one's getting, we're not getting that from anybody else. No, no. And you wouldn't. And that's, that's like I said, why you, you know, when you start something, when you, there's like, like startup mentality, you know, everyone thinks there's a great idea out there, but problem and solution is probably the easiest thing easiest recipe book to use for a startup problem and solution. So what's the problem that's out there? Well, the problem that's out there is if no one's telling you these things maybe. Okay. So I'm using this as the example. No one's telling you this, this, and this. The problem I saw was that nobody, there isn't a place to go to figure out what's going on inside of the whole world at one time in on one day. And so I'm going to bring it all together into its little area. And then, you know, during the crisis of, of CrossFit, um, reorganizing the CrossFit games, well, there's nowhere to go to get all that information, but you can come to us. So if we not, ex we solved a problem, the problem and solutions, the solutions morning chalk, the problem is, is, is a lack of information or reliable information or the information that you want. And same here. And so that's problem and solution is the recipe book that I've tried to continue to use is what problems are out there and how do we become the solution to that? Well, one problem is we don't know how many gyms are closed. We don't know how many gyms are reopening. You can't go to CrossFit HQ for that information. It's not going to tell you that. Unless if the gym itself self-reports, but where are they going to self-report it to? There isn't anywhere for them to go. So the problem is we want to know how bad this really is. How many gyms are really seriously teetering on the brink of closure? Well, 96% of the ones in the United States currently don't have people showing up. That gives you a fairly, level, fairly decent level of certainty about at least, hey, it's 96%. Man, we got to do something. If you want them to survive, if you are a company that says this matters to me or you're somebody else that says this matters to me or you're a gym member and you're like 96%, that's bad. I should keep paying my dues. Whatever it is, right? Whatever the, the end result of that is. And, and we're not, we don't go any further than that. That's just, that's, that's our role there is to problem is lack of information. And we're trying to be the solution. Well, we are pretty young in the game. Uh, we uh, started this podcast back in November, November 1st. Congratulations. So we're just about. You're in your five, five months. Yeah. Yep. Uh, about 30 episodes in. Uh, I know Kat, we talked about this before. You had a question about that. Yeah, I just wondered um, two questions. So like what, what kind of advice do you have for us, you know, getting in front of some of these folks that are, you know, prominent in the CrossFit world and, and asking them questions and have you ever had sort of 
an, an open mouth insert foot moment that you'd be willing to share with us. Cause I know I've, I've only been doing this for maybe a month now. I've already had like 20 of them. So make us feel a little better about ourselves. Um, man, <laughs> oh, advice. Well, advice is, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you some, I, I guess I'll give you some business advice. It's not necessarily about financial, but it's business advice. First one was problem and sol- solution. So what, what gap do you fill? You know, you know, if there's other podcasts out there, what do you, how are you different and why are you necessary? Um, answering those questions for yourself. Um, if you don't know them, your audience won't know them. And those are important things. Uh, it's just fairly, fairly, it's a fairly simple, you know, um, concept. It's, uh, it's a little bit harder in real life. Um, um, you know, one thing, one thing, you know, it depends on what your take is on, on, um, the podcast in general, where you want to take it. But, um, you know, fear of failure is kind of a silly one, but it, it's real. You know, just like often think about things and you're like, well, what if only like 12 people do it or watch it or listen to it? And, and, and you, you have to be in a mind, an iterative mindset as a startup. You know, I mean, I realize it's not like a startup company in the sense you're like trying to launch a new tech product or something like that, but it's still something that you want to be successful and you want to get into it, you know, with a success mindset, even if it is a hobby. And that's okay. Um, but, um, but don't be afraid to fail and iterate often. I constantly changed my newsletter every time I felt like it wasn't right. And don't throw your users into a system of disarray. Iteration doesn't mean wholesale changes every week. It means small micro, you know, micro adjustments and things like that. Ask different questions. Like research other people that you think are doing it brilliantly. You know, I constantly do that, constantly reevaluate how I can improve. And one of the ways you do that is just by looking at people who are pros. If you want to be a great CrossFitter, watch videos about Fraser working out. Watch videos of Rich Froning working out. It's not any different. If you want to be an excellent interviewer, listen to interviews. Watch 60 Minutes. Watch old tapes of Dan Rather asking questions. Like, you know, um, watch the Sunday shows. Ask hard questions. Ask yourself hard questions. Reevaluate your questions and say, you know what? I don't think I went far enough or maybe I was too easy on that one or maybe I shouldn't ask general questions. Maybe I should ask more specific questions, things like that. Like, you know, interviewing is an art form. How to get somebody to tell you the truth. Not all interviewers are going to just dump the right answers onto your desk. How to get the answer and how to get the answer you want is, is an art form. And, you know, and so there are a lot of folks out there doing interviews. In fact, it's probably something that's done more than, you would recognize you watch TV every day. There's an interview. There's an interview. There's a podcast and, and start looking at those people as inspiration, inspiration for tacticals, tactical inspiration. Like, Hey, look at that question. That's interesting. Could I apply that as a model for a series of questions to ask an interesting guests? So, um, you know, I still look at interviews and I still critique interviews of other individuals when I want to improve on my interviewing skills, um, not just sports politics, anything, human interest. It doesn't matter. There's a world of inspiration all around you if you look for it. So um, yours is based off of how great your guests are. <laughs> and and the better the guests, the better and more intriguing, more interesting your stories are going to be. But sometimes it's going to require you to pull it out of them. I've interviewed people which literally yanking on the chain of interest 
and nothing's coming out. And um, it's not because they're silly. It's not because they're dumb. It's because maybe they're not super talkative or maybe they don't feel as comfortable with you. How do you make them feel comfortable? How do you make them feel comfortable quickly? How do you ask them questions that are going to help them feel that confidence to talk about things that maybe they're a little less comfortable talking about. There's a lot of great topics that a podcast like yours can dive into and some of the, you know, low not low hanging fruit, but, 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 you know, clear, clear um, ones that draw a lot of interest to the community is, you know, like, like, uh, you know, uh, body image and, um, you know, the concept of beauty and the concept of strength and, and, uh, you know, the world that we're living in uh, prizes at times, sometimes the opposite of that and how you raise your children in a world that, 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 that defines sexiness or, or beauty in, in a different way. You know, those are important topics that, that have a broad spectrum of interest. I'm 33 years old. It interests me. I don't have children and a 45 year old who has young girls or boys that are growing up close to that teenage area, you know, and they're like, Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a hard choice. It's a hard question uh, to, uh, you know, to grapple with internally. So, um, and ways I put my foot in my mouth, um, <laughs> You know, I can tell you when I've been most embarrassed. I think the most embarrassed I was is um, the most embarrassed I I get is when I don't know. I when I'm very poorly researched on a question. That's probably when I feel the most tongue tied. I don't particularly feel tongue tied, um, but. Um, that's the one that there's no excuse for it. Mm-hmm. And so I hate it because I failed to prepare. And it's hard when you have so many things to do that a little bit of research and a lot of memory sometimes goes out the door yeah. and you forget and you stumble. And I think, I think I, I think I was interviewing, I kept, I'm trying to remember this probably blacked it out. I was interviewing like a podium athlete and I think I said something like, and I don't remember, I, I'm pretty sure it was a female and I'm trying to, I'm trying to put this together. It was like, what'd you get? What'd you, you, you were like, what, like six, six games last year or something. And you're like, that's a big deal. You're like going like this person's on the podium and you put them like at six, like that ain't good. Yeah. That ain't good. You know, that person's not going to be jumping over to give you an interview the next time. And, uh, uh, I try, I li- I'm not obfuscating. I literally cannot remember, but I'm pretty sure I did this once when I was doing a quick thing and I knew it when I, when I did it, I was like, uh, oh, that ain't good. And I felt it because he just didn't do the research yeah. and it's harder. I mean, even as much as I do all this, I can't remember all the podiums, you know, well, especially I, if it's like two seasons ago. I just wanted to finish up with, um, I know that you, you put out the morning chalk up for free. Yeah. Um, but you, you do have a, like a subscription or a donation process. Yeah. It's pretty new. Yeah. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about that. So oh, thank you. Donate to the morning chalk up if they wish. Yeah. So we're um, like other business, um, like other news media outlets, Buzzfeed and Vox news, uh, both significantly larger than we are <laughs> both in volume revenue and size staff. Um, they are experimenting with other, other revenue streams. You know, we have a, we have a completely free, um, platform. And I think that what we offer actually is premium. I think that we offer premium content and premium coverage across this sport and community but we don't charge anybody for it and it's advertiser driven. You know, we, we get our revenue through advertisers and 
Um, the great paradox of this time frame is that ad revenue has decreased and traffic has increased <laughs> because money is tighter today. And being exclusively reliant on advertising is a challenge. And it's been a challenge I've, I've looked at and, and analyzed a lot in the last couple, you know, last 18 months and said, you know, what do we need to do? And how do we get out of that reliance? Not because it's bad, but because it's, it's all of your chips are in one area. And it can be dangerous if you're not prepared. Um, and, and we were prepared for this kind of thing financially because we had held back, you know, and we were lean. And so we were able to weather that storm. But looking at that, it said, look, BuzzFeed's doing this. Like Vox Media furloughed 10% of their staff because they're hemorrhaging money, but their traffic's through the roof. And so you're like, well, if you want to know an answer to any of these questions about what's going on with the coronavirus and the CrossFit community, you come to us. But you're not paying for that. And so that volume increases, but revenue decreases because, and we had people want to pull ads and we, we said, okay, let's work. We'll work on getting somebody to refill it and move these slots around and stuff. And everything's, everything's fine, but we had to look at new revenue models. And so we're looking at now becoming a subscriber and we haven't made a complete decision on where we're going to go with that. But now you can be a contributor for $5 a month. You can be an elite member or $6 a month, an elite member for $75 a year. And you can do that. And we're going to begin building in new ways to reward those individuals and give them more content and more items that are going to be, uh, we think of even more value than what we're currently providing. Um, because we have to diver diversify revenue. We have to look at not being completely ad driven. Um, and so, so that's, that's an area where we're going. We think we, we think our journalism is, 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 is done a lot for the community. We think we've done a tremendous amount for basically free. You know, we've never asked people to pay to access our content or our live streams. And we've tried to travel, you know, we've traveled to a lot of different countries trying to deliver things that nobody else is going to at this stage in the game is going to deliver for you. And so we've worked really hard to do that. And so now we're asking people to look, if you value what we're doing, if you really do, and you think what we're doing is good and you want us to continue to do it, um, consider helping out, consider supporting, but we want to make that not about just supporting us because you like us. We want to make sure you're going to get something. And so the plan is to actually make sure they're going to get something. And one of the first things they're going to get is first look at our new iOS and Android app. So we built this, we're building this internally and, um, um, and it's going to be good. And it's going to be all the morning chalk ups content from your mobile phone, Android or, or um, iOS, as well as every games qualifier as well as every event and uh, full schedule translated into your local time zones. So as soon as you're pulling it up and you know, Hey dude, that, that event's coming up in 30 minutes. I want to watch Captain David's auto throw down. You're going to have that right at your fingertips. You're not going to have to go anywhere else to get it. We're going to be the only person that basically provides a whole season of content directly at your fingertips. And so the people who have supported us are going to get it first. And that's a, well, right now, it's the only way that we're able to reward them. We know there's not a big season left, <laughs> to be fair. We didn't know that. But we're going to make sure that we're ready come, come the open and that all the content you're looking for, videos, highlights, things that are crazy, things that are cool. And then once you get to the CrossFit Games, it'll become really useful because you're going to have that interactive leaderboard right there. And you're going to be able to access that. And we're going to fine-tune it and make it better. So right now, that's the best thing that you're going to get uh, and our love and gratitude. And if you're around me, you can say hi to my dog, and that's worth $5. To some people, um, she's magical. So, 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. We're experimenting with new things and we're going to try um, new ways to make sure that we're successful. And ultimately, if it is successful, we can deliver more and better quality uh, day in and day out. And to access the, the ability to, to donate that's on your website. Yeah. If you go to our website, you can find it in the newsletter too. Um, there's usually a little like paragraph down there somewhat, you know, halfway. Um, but if you go to the website, you're going to get a nasty little pop-up that says, give us money. And, uh, you know, if you click it and then you, uh, don't do anything the next time you come to the site, it will bother you again. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, well, well, there's actually one other thing you get, which is, which is really, really special. It's, um, you, you, you will be designated a, uh, a member on, uh, the comment board on our site now. So you mm -hmm. can actually, you can, we have a single sign on, uh, uh, technology that we deployed. So it'll sign you on to your eventually to the mobile app as well as to the website. And yeah, you can comment on all of our stories. And so mine says team. So when I, when I comment, it says team. And then when uh, somebody who's a supporter comments, he's either going to say like member or elite member and then everybody else says nothing. So it's like your little checkbox. You know, like yeah. Nice. Verify. So, so <laughs> I have a, a non-related question. Yeah. That. So I heard, you know, you mentioned earlier that you taught um, in Italy. Yeah. Um, okay. English. Yes. So, have you done any other teaching? Because I could totally see you as like a professor or doing seminar. It's the beard. I mean, it's no, the beard. it's not. It's just the way that you're so passionate about talking about um, what what knowledge you have to share. Yeah. Um, no, I've never done any other teaching. Um, I did this uh, kind of summer. I just taught these English summer camps, sort of thing, and that's that's that was my only classroom like exposure i've done some i've stood up and done some seminars i think a couple mm -hmm. of times or done q a sessions of some kind like on stage or, or or had speeches uh like like uh during like mini conferences or something uh when i was in politics i did a little bit too um it's actually a famous one where i took off half of my clothes to illustrate a point um <laughs> <laughs> you can google it it's fine you just type my name into google you'll come up uh, it's like first i think it's like the first day it's like and uh, I started taking his clothes off. <laughs> and I worked in Congress and I did it in Congress. That was what made it maybe a little bit more shocking at the time. Right. So it got the point across and it was, it was well taken, but um, time and place for that one. So, um, but no, I've never, I've never have a, I can just totally picture it. I yeah. can see it happening. I don't know. You know, I, yeah, I can, I can put tweed on and like, uh, you know, do Oxford <laughs> and, and uh, jeans and some lace ups and, uh, you know, a knit little, tie, a knit yeah. tie and a pipe. Leather pads on your elbows. Oh yeah. 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 I got, I got, a, I got a shawl collar cardigan with a little patch over here and I could, I could do that with like a, like a pipe. You'd be professor LaFranco. I mean, where did you go to school? Biola <laughs> university, uh, Los Angeles. It's in LA. It's okay. a private and what was your major here? Uh, political, political philosophy, political science. Got it. Um, I just concentrate on the philosophy side. Because um, um, I, 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 like I said, I didn't really like public policy. So I, I like the theory. I like the political theory kind of thing. And that, that was well, more entertaining for me. Interesting. I, I know that um, this is also unrelated, but we haven't heard your take necessarily on what's going on this summer with the games. Do you have ah. any sort of predictions or insights into, because I know that you know, you're a scholar of this stuff and maybe you have a better insight than we do. We, we debate about it constantly. So sure. Yeah. I mean, I have a take on it. Debates. I think you can read it on Instagram when I, when I, when I talked about it originally and two days later they came out and they, they did, they did, they did make, I'm not exactly sure if it was because of me or not, but they, uh, they definitely clarified the uh, position on the CrossFit games after that. Yeah, um, I, I actually think before you get started, I think that they purposely 
leak stuff, like announce things very ambiguously and they wait for like the smart people that are covering the sport to actually like come inject up with a plan. their, yeah, really. I mean, you come up with these sort of scenarios and then they go, oh yeah, yeah I didn't think that's that. That's not a bad one, yeah. I yeah. really think that's happening. Uh, you know, um, I want to be fair to them. You know, they're, they're, they're working with their hands tied behind the back a little bit with a much smaller staff than they did previously. So that's my grain of, um, for, that's my uh, sort of, a grain of salt that I take take any criticisms that I would that I would say to it is that they are they are working with a much smaller staff than they did previously, and this is a quite a big thing. Um, my take on it is that it should be canceled. Um, I just think it's kind of silly that 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 it's still going on. Um, and here's the the majority the the real reason that I have that is that currently they can't hold the games in California. They have, in order for that to happen, they need the governor of California to lift restrictions on gatherings. Unless they plan on shuttling people back and forth between the no hotels in Aromas, California and the ranch, then they're going to have more than 10 people on site and then they can't do it. So what they need is they're, the most important things at their fingertips to decide whether it can go on or out of their control. Right. And that's why I think it's kind of silly because you're like, you're planning for the, you're planning based off of a decision that you can't influence. Not only can you not influence it, you just, there's nothing you can do. You just, you just, you're complete, your hands are completely tied. So, so it seems like it's cool. It's a cool concept. It'd be the cheapest CrossFit games they will have ran in 10 years. That's for sure. But, and so economically is kind of, you know, not a bad idea. They're not going to lose money on the CrossFit games like they did in years past. But, um, but uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they need the regulatory environment to shift in order to do that. You know, Patrick Vellner's working out on a second story of his apartment building. He has like a dumbbell and a bike. Yeah. I mean, Carrie Pierce is on the fourth story, fourth floor of the apartment building in New York City with a dumbbell on a bike and some other machines and some other things like that. You know, it's, it's like, okay. And we know New York ain't shifting anytime soon. They, the governor just signaled he's going to extend the, the, their, their, their stay at home order till at least May 15th and maybe even further. And California hasn't signaled that it's going to be shifting a whole lot either. In fact, they've said they're probably not going to be seeing gatherings larger than 50 people for some time, in which case you take the top 20 from each side and you have five judges. Well, there's 45 people. That's a whole lot of work for five judges. That's a whole lot of work for five judges, and there ain't just going to be five judges, or there ain't just going to be five judges plus five other support staffers. They're going to need medical staff. They're going to need uh, safety protocols in order to comply with whatever regulations the government has in place for larger parties and larger groups and stuff. Where the heck are these people going to stay? Aromas is a farm town. You got to go to Gilroy? I just – this season's already messed up. Yeah. Right? Give, give, so, give, give, give the athletes, you know, the certainty to be able to go, okay. You know, like I, mean, I talked to a lot of them. I did the interview with a lot of different athletes and, and, and some of the parts that didn't make the cut were just kind of like, um, just, just cause of length and stuff, not cause of content, but they were like, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a super big deal, but they're like, we're training hard, you know, to train hard for the CrossFit games. You don't have like an infant period of time that you can have that volume. And they're like, it's just like, is it going to happen at the end of, july because if that's the case okay whatever you know all right but is it like they haven't actually stated that it's going to happen at the end of july 
So they've kind of left it open. So now it's like, well, is it the end of July? Is it the end of August? Is it the end of September? Are they just going to wait until the governor says it's okay to have 60 people on the ranch and then they're going to host it? What happens when it runs into the open? What happens if it runs really close to the open? What are those athletes that just beat themselves up at the ranch? Are they going to turn around and do the open again? Is that silly? Are you going to give them a, a pass for next year? So many unanswered questions. And there's way more unanswered questions than there are real questions. The truth is I don't really have a lot of insight. Um, I think that they do plan to go forward and they're in their experiment. They're looking at scenarios to do it. I think Dave is committed to figuring out how to put on a games at the ranch. And if you're watching some of his Instagram live videos and things like that, he's exploring different things and looking at this and that. I don't think it's all palace intrigue. I think they're really trying to plan, put forward a, a, a plan for the CrossFit game. Should they be allowed to? Um, but I think that the level of questions that are, that that are outside of their control are, are to the point where I don't think it makes a lot of sense for a four day competition where the best, where three out of six athletes live overseas that were on the podium from last year, 50% of the podium might not be able to show up. And you're like, I, just, well, I, I want a clean 2021. If, if, yeah, if it start over canceling and we get a clean 2021, all the sanctionals are canceling. There will not be another sanctional. Yeah. So that this 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 is i'm breaking news here but <laughs> breaking news in the sense not everybody has canceled but i do not believe and you can you can say nasty things on my instagram if i'm wrong there will be another sanction of this season so the season's basically over and then the crossfit games is maybe going to happen at the end of july or maybe it's in august or maybe it's in september or maybe it's never who knows yeah. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll look to you to give us some more insight on that as we, uh, as we open up our emails in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'll let you know when I know, but it, at this stage in the game, it's hard to, it's hard to say, um, you know, I mean, it's still three months away, so a lot can shift and they do have to have that in their favor, but athletes do need some kind of a heads up, especially if you're traveling from overseas. Definitely. You know, like Carl Saunders couldn't get here. Right. Yeah. This just wouldn't happen. Well, Australia and letting anybody out. Yeah. And back in. So we just we just want to thank you very much for taking some time yeah. out. Thank yeah. you today. Super fun. Uh, great fun interview. Um, got to best. know a lot more about you than we did before. So <laughs> that's a great thing. Uh, thank and we you. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to having a great week. It's Monday. Uh, weather's beautiful down here in Southern California. So I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, despite everything going on, there's not a lot. Of, you know happy and healthy. And I got a, I got, I got a little bit of a gym in my garage. Like Perfect. I'm living the best of the world here in the, in, in, in all things considered. So I just actually had a great workout like an hour before I got on this call. Um, <laughs> so I'm thankful for those sorts of things. There's a lot to be thankful for in this time. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Justin. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you. Take care. So that was a fun interview. Yeah, I had no idea that he was a one-man show for two years on on the morning talk up. Seven hundred fifty newsletters. Yeah, yeah, that's on his own. That's a lot, a lot of content. Yeah, we 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 forgot to ask him sort of like how much time did was he spending just sort of sifting through stuff. I think I remember in an early interview he did that he um he spent about two hours a day you know, looking at stuff. And I'm thinking I would not be able to produce that. I'd have to listen and watch constantly. Yeah. He's a smart guy. 
So I Definitely. actually spent part of my state career as a policy writer. And uh, I didn't write anywhere near 700 <laughs> policies. And wow. I would have gone insane writing that much every day. Well, I think it's, it's just interesting because some people um, process information through writing. And so clearly it's definitely one of his strengths, he, you know, for sure. So, And his ability to just, you know, condense it and sort of curate it in a way that makes it, um, you know, easy to, easy to digest is just, is pretty cool. Definitely. Well, I know it's one of the first things I read every morning. So he has done something amazing. Uh, because after my master's degree, I didn't want to read anything. <laughs> and at least I read that. And, I, and I'm excited about that app. I think I need to become one of those uh, elite members um, and see, see what kind of access we can get. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys are interested in that, just check it out on the website or in the, the morning newsletter and you can uh, become a member. And yeah, and I don't, we didn't really talk about it, but all the stories now have a comment section. Mm -hmm. uh, where you're able to make a comment on something they write on the morning chalk up. So it's more interactive now than it was uh, even a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. awesome. Well, with that, you know, we're not going to keep you long because this is a midweek, uh, midweek release, uh, but we'll catch you next time on the Clydesdale CrossFit Friends. Thank you so much for joining us on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends. Remember, you can find us on YouTube now and all major podcast platforms. That's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, we're available on all those. And please hit that subscribe button on whatever you use and consider giving us a five-star rating. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week on the Clydesdale CrossFitter and Friends.